Nyata, hello. My name is Alison and I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. We're based on Peak Warren Country in Warrnambool. Today I'm looking at a Jesus parable of forgiveness and the drowning of the Egyptian army in Exodus. You'll find the first story in Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35 and the second in Exodus chapter 14 verses 19 through 31. So let me start by admitting that on first reading, today's texts terrify me. From the Hebrew Bible, we hear that the Lord threw the Egyptian army into panic. They decided to flee. But before they could get away, the Lord ordered Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea so that the waters would return. And then the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Not one of them remained, and the Israelites saw the dead wash up on the shore. Then in the parable from the Gospel according to Matthew, we heard that a slave who is forgiven an unimaginable debt, but who fails to extend forgiveness himself, will be handed over to be tortured until the debt can be repaid. Says Jesus, So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So in the first text, God is a murderous force who destroys an army even as it's running away. And in the next, God looks like a fickle sadist who in one moment forgives, yet in the next responds to our weakness by whisking that forgiveness away and sending us away to be tortured. And so, yes, these readings terrify me. Now, of course, many Christians are very comfortable with a violent God, the mighty warrior fighting for righteousness' sake, or the vindictive ruler, or the hanging judge, the flaming sword. There are all sorts of metaphors. They are confident that they're on the right side and that God's righteous anger will protect them and fight for them. But for those of us who are less confident of our own righteousness, perhaps, or who've been victims of other people's so-called righteous anger wielded in God's name, this image of God is horrific. It doesn't reveal a God we can love and trust, only a God of fear and loathing. Perhaps, though, there is a different way. In the Gospel reading, Jesus says to Peter we need to forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven or maybe 77. And right away, these numbers should pique your interest. Right away, it's interesting. Way back in Genesis, we are told that whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And then, seven generations later, Cain's descendant Lamech kills a young man who wounds him. And then he claims his own vengeance to be 77 times. So Jesus' audience, who know these stories by heart, are already being reminded of a God of retaliation, retribution, and vengeance. But Jesus is flipping the script entirely. What's at stake for him is not vengeance, but forgiveness. Having insisted on abundant mercy then, Jesus goes on to tell a story. 
Someone who has experienced great forgiveness and yet fails to extend it to others will be handed over to be tortured and so too will it be with us if we fail to forgive. How is this possible? First, Jesus tells us that we need to offer forgiveness over and over and over again. And then he tells a story in which if we fail to forgive, we'll be sent away to be tortured. Surely this is contradictory. Well, the nub of the question lies, I think, in who is doing the torturing? If it is God, although the story doesn't specify this, then we have a violent, sadistic God who punishes those who fail to live up to God's standards. And to those of us who know that we fail time and time again, this is absolutely appalling. We are all destined for hell. If, on the other hand, the torture represents the consequences of our choices, then the text might make more sense. You've probably heard it said that refusing to forgive is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. It's true that resentment destroys us. It allows the wounds that others have inflicted to fester, shape and define our lives. We remain caught in cycles of bitterness and revenge, constantly nursing our hurts and injuries and unable to live out the fullness that God intends for us. We are not free, but caught in lockstep with the ones who hurt us, lurching together in pain and agony all the way to hell. Forgiveness is different. It changes the script. To be clear, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It's not denial. It's not about glossing over things. It's not easy and it's not quick. Nor does it mean that there are no consequences for harmful action. As we saw last week, addressing injury takes a lot of time and work and it's not always successful but nor is it the same thing as forgiveness. Instead, forgiveness is a way of positioning ourselves and of declaring ourselves to be free. It's a way of refusing to be defined by the evil that we suffer, and it's a refusal to mirror it back into the world. Lamech receives a wound and kills the man thus intensifying the violence and ensuring it will ripple through the community for generations to come. But followers of Jesus, well, we're called to reset the narrative. When we are wounded, we are called to forgive, thus interrupting the cycles of trauma and hurt and violence. We become part of something new and healing, life-giving, good. We become citizens of the commonwealth of heaven. So forgiveness takes us to heaven while resentment throws us into hell. And where we end up is a consequence of our actions, not a punishment from God. Similarly, the Exodus story might be seen as a story about what the Egyptian army did to itself. The soldiers drowned because they insisted on pursuing Israel despite all the signs and warnings that Israel must go free. At any stage, they could have let up. 
And yet they pursued the Israelites out of Egypt, through the wilderness and into the boggy seabed. Of course the heavy chariots got stuck. Of course the sea came back and drowned them all. But in the coming days and years, as the story was told and retold around campfires, the tale was embellished. The destruction of the Egyptian army was seen as a sign of God's action on behalf of the Israelites. And so God was said to have actively drowned a lot of them, even to the point of tossing the Egyptians into the sea. Yet even in this telling, there are traces of a different story. Up until this point, God had kept the Israelites and Egyptians separate from each other, placing the angel of God and the pillar of cloud between them. In other words, God protected the Israelites just by keeping them separate from the Egyptian army. More, when the Egyptians were destroyed, it wasn't at the hand of Israel, nor was it by military violence. So perhaps there's a hint of an older story, a truer story, of a God who rejects all forms of human violence and seeks another way. I don't know for sure. But as followers of Jesus, we interpret these texts through the lens of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we are made to understand that the measure you give will be the measure you receive. Violence begets more violence. The Egyptian army was so reluctant to let the Israelites go free that it trapped itself. And then this army of a violent nation, which had inflicted so much violence upon its slaves, suffered violence in return. Not the violence of humans, not even perhaps of God, but the violence of that ancient symbol of chaos, the violence of the sea. Violence, retaliation, payback, revenge, countless voices justify this pattern with cherry-picked stories of a violent God. But these stories are part of a wider picture of salvation in which we are liberated from these cycles of hell. And the one we worship bore on his body the wounds of human violence. He was mocked, humiliated, whipped and nailed to a cross to die. Yet in his last moments... He cried out not for revenge, but forgiveness. May we not be the instruments of our own oppression. Amen. There's always more to read on our website, that's sanctuarybaptist.org, and this week you'll find a practical tool to help you process conflict. This reflection was prepared on the lands of the Pequoring people of the Eastern Ma Nation. It's a land which was taken by force and has never been ceded. This week, after a day of horrific high winds, the sun is now warm and the air still. The branches still lie down all around us. The peace of the land, waterways and skyways be with us all. Amen.